Hello and welcome to Cherry Stem number 11, Tech for Man by Man, or Fumbum, as, as the young kids will call it. So today we have uh, a lovely panel of uh, guests um, slash uh, permanent hosts, uh, so me and Cherry, we've got Richard Rawl, and then we also have Zidoge, Brian Martinez, and Dyer Hawk, Jonathan Doyle. Speaking of the Doge, it is actually his birthday today, so wish him uh, well. Um, and we at the Badger Cave, or the, the Honey Badger Radio Channel, wish Brian uh, many more uh, years with us and uh, in general. And also, uh, thank you so much for joining us on your birthday. That is super awesome. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, um, I have a piece of cake in the fridge. I'll have it maybe later. Um, but thank you for the, for the birthday wishes. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of, uh, actually not really anything, I don't have a segue for this one, but we are talking about tech and VR, AR, uh, all fun things like that, um, kind of um, bridging of the, the human with the tech. So as we have previously talked in low-life high-tech, a bit of uh, cybernetics, a bit of um, cyberization, a bit of prosthetics talk, and also how it can actually help men. So this is, as we mentioned, technology by men and for men. So we're going to talk about a variety of cool new techs as well as, uh, as I mentioned, more transhumanist type uh, topics, especially since Deuce X, uh, Mankind Divided, the video game has come out or is coming out or has already come out, and we can um, all discuss the sphere of sci-fi that has been um, quite plentiful lately uh, about transhumanism, as well as some really cool actual technologies that uh, we have and where we could possibly go or where we are headed as, um, as humans and uh, how we're going to integrate with machines in the future. So uh, to start off, though, I would like to go for a little video, um, just super quick. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any sound to it, so we can just enjoy a visual presentation. And it is the inside of the uh, Google data center. So if we're going to be talking about tech and a lot of these technologies and games, et cetera, that, and AR, VR, all of that is related to Internet. And we search for all these things through Google. So um, I thought it would be really cool to visualize and um, see where we actually have all of our Googleness and YouTubeness stored. And uh, we're going to have that little video in just a second as soon as I can set it up. Here we go. And right now I've got uh, constant doge on my screen, so I don't know if that's uh, for everyone or if yours is going to start showing up. I'm not sure, but if you click on my name, and that's what I did, I did present to everyone, so hopefully um, that's the overwhelming image. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll see. And I'm going to mute it. Just, you know, it would be nice if there was some sort of music, but uh, I don't want to deal with copyright stuff, so we're just going to have a silent, meditative second, a minute and 45 seconds. I could sing. I could sing something. There you go. There you go. Birthday. <laughs> this is the Google Data Center. What happens when you search something in Google or or go to your email or go on YouTube? Where is all of that information stored? Well, here's a visual tour using Google View, of course. Oh, that's neat. I didn't realize they could they'd allow you to like go up in the uh, the Googleplex with. Uh, the Google navigation thing. It's kind of neat. They probably had a, a day they set aside to just kind of have the drones run through and take happy pictures of everybody being happy. So, so yeah, it, it's pretty self-explanatory as it has subtitles. 
but they do mention in the video, if you do watch it, I will link it in the low bar, that you can, uh, they store information on at least two servers, like so every, each, each individual piece of information about yourself, like your Gmail or what have you, is stored on at least two servers, so you can have access to it in such a timely manner um, because of that. It's probably some uh, purposeful redundancy as well. Some cool stuff there. Yeah, it looks like they have it. Uh, it's, it's so this is just a, a video. What are they? They're okay, they're destroying hard drives. Um, is this a? This is like just a video tour because at first it was doing the like the Google you know walkthrough thing. Yeah, it's just a general video of um, what the data farm is like and like what goes on there, what it looks like on the inside. So you're kind of giving us a a, a feel for the. The, the Where all the information is, yeah, the, the machine, <laughs> the mind of the machine, indeed, or at least uh, one part of the machine. So that was uh, a, a good start to that. And so what I'd actually like to start with, since uh, we're going to have a bit of a theme or um, at least a, a road to the show, um, I would like to start actually uh, in talking with Jonathan with Direhawk about some of his latest uh, VR projects. Um, and guys, in case you guys have not uh, been uh, keeping up with some of the latest happenings uh, with the Badger Cave, etc., on the Honey Badger uh, Twitter and YouTube channel, we've had some videos that are really cool, um, taken with drones, etc., and um, Jonathan has worked a lot in the VR field. So I would just like to give the floor to, to Dire Hawk so he can um, talk a little bit more about his projects and things that he's doing, the tech for men, uh, or by men, as it is in this case. And uh, just kind of talk about that, Jonathan, if you will. Yeah, sure. Um, well, my uh, interest in VR probably goes all the way back to my childhood. I guess it goes back to um, getting my first um, VR experience, which we've all had, and that would be the Viewmaster, if you remember that thing. But it was just a still image. But the idea that um, I could actually see something that was on a on film, but it was in three dimensions, and it would kind of like block out my sensory, you know, view of the world. It just gave me that really got my child imagination going that I, you know, could go into it, that I wanted to go into those spaces that they were giving me. So ever since then, I've been always wanting to actually go into those worlds. And then I got teased again when I got introduced to video games back in the 80s. And I've had to go through the decades through the evolutions of that. And it's been a kind of a long journey trying to, you know, break through these, you know, sheets of glass and film and all that stuff to be able to get the, a real immersive feeling to be actually break into these fictional worlds or real worlds that have been captured and then served up to me. So that's just the short form of why I've been always interested in that kind of thing. But uh, And as for projects, um, I've been working in a group called Project Mosul. Um, they're a group of um, people that have been um, working in the world of archaeology and um, we've been trying to piece together using photographs and that um, in a process called photogrammetry to reconstruct um, structures, um, sculptures, um, you know, various archaeological uh, things that have been destroyed by um, ISIS so that it's when it's in a digital format it could be um, saved for posterity or it could also be used to uh, reconstruct all the fabric uh, you know 
fragments or whatever to uh, you know resurrect them again so they can be shared so, so there's that and then personal projects has been um, I've been just I've always been interested in heritage and preserving history and I'm not really good at being able to explain my own thoughts but uh, like all summer I've been kind of running around and well for the last couple of years I've been running around and using photogrammetry capturing you know various historic sites sites that haven't even been deemed historic and just been left to be forgotten like I live in Saskatchewan and um, uh, its roots kind of go back into like agriculture now I'm not a farmer myself but my family that immigrated here went to farming and at and uh, when I was growing up I would see just all these you know freestanding farm buildings and abandoned farmyards and stuff all over the place and even um, ghost towns and I always wondered you know what the stories were behind that and over the years I saw them slowly disappearing and um, just falling away and uh, even the old people that were around me I tried to get their stories trying to understand what what the history was of this province and uh, so I was always interested in that so I've been going around while I could um, capturing all these structures and buildings and stuff and then turning the, them into three-dimensional models and my hope is to be able to kind of have a huge library of these things so that people can uh, see them and then try to tack on all the individual history if I can find it onto it and that I've been working on trying to get it so that you can go into the buildings themselves and kind of look around and, and that so so basically you're kind of like a a, a new type of archaeology and uh, and history uh, preservationist because it's, because I mean, of course you know as we uh, advance in in uh, you know virtual technology that becomes more ubiquitous that's going to be the way in which classrooms and the way in which people can really uh, you know be interested in history and so yeah that, that's that's really awesome because uh, that, uh, I'm sure that's that's gonna you know interest people in these things that you know are, are really important to know you know to know where you're going to know where you've come from I, I really love history that's, that is a that's a neat way of uh, doing things when you mentioned the viewmaster thing I just realized that that's that's really you know something that got me into uh, VR as well oh yeah and I mean you know the uh, this has been a kind of a trek for humanity for a long time the first um, I guess the first experiment looking into the possibility of um, trying to find artificial ways to record and present you know reality itself would be um, something that was invented in 1938 um, I'll get my glass on so I can actually, it's just a short little thing just so that you know how far back this goes. There's a man by the name of Charles uh, Wheatstone and he, uh, he did an experiment where he showed that the brain can construct a 3D image from two 2D uh, images. So it was the stereoscope viewer and it was invented in 19, or 1838 which leads you to what we know now as the Viewmaster. But it's those two images that is, you know, what's in our virtual reality glasses. It's just that we have video and all this new technology has been applied to this. So if it's a, we're still using, you know, old concepts because they work, but we're applying new technology to the to the problem. So well, there's also a variety of other ways in which VR has been um, 
of course, traditionally uh, with uh, healing and soldiers, uh, PTSD and um, a lot of work with amputee type. Um, well, we'll get into a little more of that later when we talk about more a significant cyberization, so to speak, where we have humans with you know artificial limbs and things like that. But uh, just from VR experience alone, um, we've had, um, I believe his name is, let me just get it exactly, oh, Skip Rizzo. He is a creator of Virtual Iraq, as well as Virtual Afghanistan, where it's an experience that allows soldiers to go through the explosions and the sights and the smells that actually, uh, and the, the kinetic uh, associations that they had with that place so that they can uh, engage emotionally with their memory and thereby reduce the fear and reduce the PTSD response. It's a healing process to deal with uh, PTSD and other trauma. And some of these um, machines, they actually are attached to um, sets and things like that. So you will have, um, one second, there you go, there's um, some type of over the rainbow singing happening, which is lovely, but I feel like I'm like yelling uh, to try to overcompensate for it. All right. Um, so yeah, there's the the machine that is involved in uh, virtual Iraq. It actually is connected to uh, scents and little jars that have like various scents in them, um, and a uh, variety of things like that to provide all five senses with an experience, not just the visual. So I really see how something like that could be tied in for a more uh, educational or recreational use uh, with VR for a project like Jonathan's where you have a virtual uh, tour of a place, a historical place, a historical time, and uh, you can have all the sights and smells and that would be very, and of course that would be the future of television obviously. Uh, we already have been talking about where is smell of vision you know, um, so for something like VR becoming quite popular I can see um, theaters springing around this and uh, I, I would be very curious to see how they portray some of the middle centuries, like the 14th and the, the 16th, uh, since the bathing and the hygiene wasn't particularly a thing. And the idea is that uh, glamorous towns like Paris, uh, et cetera, uh, you know, stunk of, you know, like just horrible things. So it, it would be very interesting just how realistic we can get with this. Uh, and if there's some way from there to develop technology to capture smells and, and to have actual realism and not just, you know, somebody making something up kind of like Foley for sound effects, but for smells um, of previous eras, but maybe we can start recording uh, smells and and feelings of uh, this era, and um, before it gets destroyed, first of all, or uh, hopefully, if things don't get destroyed and we continue on as a species, that uh, we have a record for the the future selves, uh, our, our kids, etc., generations of humans, to see where we sort of came from and and some of the challenges that we faced. Um, but also VR is being used to help with obvious phobias and addiction and even things like autism. Um, they are considering doing some VR assisted therapy for autism and uh, there's a company called Viscera that creates interactive technologies uh, that help you with sort of um, I guess empathy or just a alternate life or alternate experience uh, of being human and for them in particular they did a uh, virtual reality experience that is designed to simulate schizophrenia so you actually hear the voices echoing in your head and, and a variety of other symptoms that people with schizophrenia experience so that is an interesting uh, also tie into actually some movies that I wish I could uh, remember a name that had some of the similar experiences where you know you have a, a mind port where you hook up to a memory or experience and you get to relive something that somebody else did so with VR there's a lot of that sort of sci-fi sphere that can be explored 
and uh, we can go between it actually helping people in training to uh, being healing to just plain entertaining to being historical so there's a plethora of what we can do with this sort of newer um, technology for entertainment recording etc yeah Th there's also I just I just want to throw it in there because I watched some things about virtual reality that, <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> there's also a downside to this too meaning that because it can be used to uh, help people uh, you know, uh, learn things that, uh, for example, um, surgery or in the military, um, you can teach people valuable skills. You can even uh, show children how to play sports with it, and this way, you know, they learn how to do it without um, as much of the risk. The downside is is that people can also use it to uh, push their ideologies, and and I and I say that just as a warning. Not, and I know that we probably are aware of that, but um, I'm reminded um, of the the whole thing with Digrad, how they wanted uh, video games to be used as education, and they wanted them to be educational tools. And just like any tool, they can be used for the wrong purposes, for the purposes of pushing narratives that they believe in. And um, another example of that is that I recall Brianna Wu herself saying um, that she had been looking into uh, VR technology for games that she wanted to make, that dealt with the stuff that she believes in. So just as an aside, um, there is another uh, part to it, and uh, VR is, is a tool, and therefore it can be used for, you know, for less sort of um, uh, responsible purposes, I guess. Yeah, it's a matter. The more powerful the tool, the more powerful its uh, potential for good or evil. It's just kind of you know, it's it's just kind of something we have to face. It, it's funny uh, because uh, this will eventually get to something that I want to talk about is the the uh, ludites that that we constantly have people who uh, want to push back against technology. And a lot of times, I kind of I, I feel that myself to a certain extent. You know, when you see how badly things can go, and you kind of have this feeling of that, you know, has our, has our reach exceeded our grasp? You know, are we, are we doing more harm than good? But the truth of the matter is, technology is, is it, it, it's just like a, a spider's web, in, you know, is, is genetically encoded in a spider. It's a type of technology itself. Technology, our, our development of technology is part of us, and, and trying to kind of, you know, stop that is not going to, it's not going to work out. Uh, you know, ludites get left behind. Uh, and so, uh, and this, this goes... This, uh, dovetails very much into the um, you know the, the the prosthetics conversation, but I don't know if we were we were ready to head in that direction yet or not. Well, I just have one thing. Like, imagine how it's going to change, say, court cases. Like, I know police offices in a lot of places they actually wear cameras wherever they go now. now imagine if they have you know 3D 360 cameras that are higher resolution, recording 360 degree what's happening on the scene because we don't have eyes in the back of our head. They could actually re-examine it from any angle they want to now, because they'd be capturing the entire area that the cop was in, and be able to, you know, make a better judgment. Well, yeah, so, that absolutely reminds me of. Um, so, okay, I gotta divulge. I have a confession. Um, Canadian sci-fi is like my favorite thing ever. Is they have so many fantastic shows coming out of, uh, specifically Victoria, um, sorry, Vancouver Island uh, area. There's like 
the same actors too used in all the shows practically because they have like a local Canadian group of sci-fi actors and one of the shows is Continuum and they actually have that they have the enforcers the cops whatever they have retina um, cameras that record so it's not 360 but they do have retinal cameras and things like that that record uh, basically the, the memory then it becomes uh, of the experience that they had investigating something or pursuing a suspect or whatever and they basically daily uh, submit it for review and things like that and they're open to scrutiny um, and I really kind of appreciate it even though even though it kind of ends up being more a kind of a Star Wars-y like Rebel Alliance somewhat of a situation you still have a sense that these cops even though they're working for not necessarily pure or good intention people um, there's still a code of honesty and trying to be you know an upholder of the law in, in an honest sense and the the camera is like part of that and they it's, it's a prideful thing and I really appreciated that sort of view of uh, enforcers and public servants that they are so that was really cool uh, anyway just completely reminding me of that and it's uh, it's also a Canadian Canadian show but that segues into the last thing I wanted to mention which is you know I'm glad what you guys brought up because we basically are talking about yes it is a tool it can be used for bad but it can also be used for good and so well, I guess let's see if how many good things it can be used for can outweigh potentially the bad things and I feel like the the worst so to speak it can do is unless you like do some unlawful you know brainwashing like sleep deprivation blinking lights you know ridiculous <laughs> subliminal messaging which will question it question is if it even works um, unless you're doing any of that the most I feel like VR is gonna do is give people an experience of being with other people and that can only go so far obviously you know things tools are can be dangerous uh, you can be brainwashed by groups of people. You can sort of have, and, and the whole brainwashing thing. I uh, as a that happened with TV, though. I mean, right. I was about to say, as a neuropsychologist, I feel like we really need to define brainwashing as either the general thing that almost absolutely everybody is susceptible to, to one degree or another. Hence, why advertising works. Yeah, it's called and, influence. <laughs> right. We go from influence to straight up brainwashing, which it by itself, uh, just like confessions under torture, are basically not real. They're not, you're not really actually getting the truth out of people. Same with quote unquote brainwashing. There's really no technique to make somebody change completely unless they already had a desire to be a particular way and that gets influenced and played up and they feel like whatever story they have for themselves coincides with this new thing that they're doing. So that's not really brainwashing. It is a way of a person to be carried to something they want to do already. So that's, you know, I feel like we need to talk about that some other time. But uh, the good things that we can use virtual reality for um, is something that not only can help like little kids, whereas we're talking about history, preserving things that may be destroyed, uh, by certain people just like imagine the library of Alexandria if we could have a virtual reality or some sort of pictorial or whatever any kind of a record of that before it was destroyed so uh, my heart really goes out to the, the project that Jonathan's on with with that um, you know projects or I mean sorry artworks that are being destroyed uh, in the Middle East currently uh, so I feel like that is really important to do that and not only can we do that as a historical record uh, with VR, but we can also provide something as simple as nature through VR. And in fact, I stumbled upon a uh, University of Florida, I believe, um, like presentation. Uh, they were presenting a uh, a way to have 
younger generation kids who suffer from ADHD and a variety of other autism and a variety of other disorders that um, a big part of it actually has to do with uh, nature deficit disorder. I mean we, we have actual evidence and I believe we've talked about this during the coping strategies for depression that uh, I think it's the second or third show that seeing nature just outside of your window in a recuperating room in a hospital versus seeing a blank wall will help an outpatient heal three days faster, three whole days. Uh, faster healing and recuperation process uh, by just being exposed to a little bit of nature. We obviously came from nature, we are intrinsically attached to it, we eat from it, <laughs> we are born of it, yet we put ourselves in a very, at least in, in urban areas, we put ourselves in concrete prisons, concrete blocks, and we crawl inside them and live there all the time under fluorescent lights. So a lot of times little kids do not have access to nature and it leads to cognitive decline. Uh, basic cognitive functioning decline, uh, creativity is lower, higher mental tasks uh, come more difficultly, more difficultly, um, are more difficult for them and of course uh, any kind of emotional, spiritual um, sensation we get from being in nature, they also don't have that. So there's actually a whole project called RISE to give um, they're outlining ways to use VR to connect a real-life location, so a little bit Pokemon Go-like with uh, augmented reality, uh, to use it as a way to bolster presence of green things in these kids' lives through their daily routes, through Concrete Jungle of New York or whatever. They can actually see more green and more nature and have uh, half gaming or interactive, half you know learning and mental health sort of soothing experience of being in nature uh, through VR on their daily basically route where there is no nature and that's for like just more kids and things like that but uh, on a general scale virtual reality and serious games they're calling them can be applied to healthcare and healthcare education uh, too such as uh, you know let's not talk about just the consumer but let's talk about more on a um, not a professional but like on a uh, on a level of, of, of some industry or a profession they can be seriously helped with VR. And so we have just basic things like haptic feedback, which is haptic feedback is, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, that sort of pushback you get, vibration uh, on your finger you get from pressing on your, on your smartphone touch screen, so you get this like re feedback response that something happened. And so they were using that and virtual reality uh, of a head and neck model for uh, things like dental education and a variety of other doctor educations uh, where or training uh, where you can practice in a really meaningful way uh, before you can actually touch a human and potentially you know deal with with all that like how do you train you know a student in a way that they make less mistakes but actually receive truly accurate feedback. So VR can help with that very easily. It also can help with molecular biology and a variety of other biologies because you have this uh, massive ability to visualize 3D objects and a variety of things to do with our health and fitness and biology. All of that has to do with 3D shapes of proteins and the atoms themselves and molecules. All of that huge part of it has to do with the shape that it's in because that's actually how our bodies um, like cellular processes and just how our bodies are held together and atoms are held together it all has to do with electromagnetics and shape because if you understand anything or well that sounds condescending sorry um, if, you under, if you understand electromagnetics you will also know that uh, there's a attraction and a pushback so that it actually 
creates a certain shape because it has a force around it. So it like pushes things out of the way or pushes things to themselves. So shape is an integral part of how um, molecular and, and atomic processes work. So all of that is done in 3D because, well, you know, we're, we're 3D. And to be able to visualize that and to actually kind of get inside a molecule and get inside a protein or whatever uh, can do massive things for cancer, AIDS, I mean, you name it. Uh, I feel like it can provide to the right, you know, people, to the right physicians, to, the, to, to those who can understand these things. They can see perhaps issues that have to do with an understanding or rather that are helped by their understanding of the 3D nature of this molecule, because that's yeah, they're not just molecules, but like <clears throat> they could do 3D scans of a body or whatever, and then but instead of doing exploratory surgery, uh, you know, they could then right. just like just slough off different layers and look at things in a three-dimensional perspective that you just can't make out things in in 2D that you can in 3D, and uh, there's there's you know there's something additional that you get through a 3D interface that they would be able to you know do more uh, do better diagnostics and things like that, and so I mean the the technology is already, you know, kind of there to, to do that sort of thing, and it's, it is a, uh, there, there's just a, a variety of ways in which it's going to, it, it can be helpful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they've been doing, like, um, I'm sorry, did I interrupt somebody? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, you were talking about, you know, um, you know, with children and that. Um, mm -hmm. Like, when I was growing up, I was diagnosed with ADD, and, um, you know, children, they all have, you know, different, you know, ways that they learn and I've always looked at um, VR as one way to kind of help level the um, learning playing field here because human beings learn best by experience and um, I mean you could take a group of kids and they all are at di starting at, at different starting levels and you could take them to the Great Pyramid and they would come home and they would probably know just as much from that one day um, but if you were to go and give them a book, an equal book, each kid would know a certain amount. You know, I mean, everybody would be able to learn just as much, if not more, if we can experience it. Because we learn through experiencing versus uh, recording it down and then, you know, because you know, everybody learns differently, but everybody learns the same when it comes to experience. So... Yeah, something a more sensory experience impacts us in a different way. We see things as more real, whereas like through a book, it's very abstract, it's very flat. It's hard for us to to draw that into our minds. And I'm sure as yeah. as children, they don't draw it into their mind as nearly as well as they do real life experiences. That's why we take them out on field trips and things like this. And so this basically, you know, it provides a cheap way by which you can take children on field trips. You know, here in in you know inner city, you know New York or wherever. You know, you like. Like inner city kids can go on a field trip to the to the the pyramids. They can go on a field trip to Machu Picchu. They can actually go go there and and uh, as the technology progresses, they can go and touch the stones. They can go and and look at things. They can examine little you know areas that you know they wouldn't be able to because sometimes you know a child wants to focus on what they want to focus on. So they might want to you know one of them might want to stare at the joints of the stones, whereas another one might want to look at you know the way that the the plants are growing and you know and, and interacting with things. You know there's just different ways that so long as they can kind of drive their experience they're going to have an experience that fits with them better and makes it more visceral makes it more real and so it, it, it is a uh, 
it's an advanced type of learning that just uh, that, that just like the the internet opened things up it seems like VR will will uh, tend to open things up in, in education to a certain extent and, and on that note uh, uh, you, you know it's funny you mentioned that you've been um, interested in VR for a very long time well it 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 just so happens that I have a patent from uh, I think it was uh, in the 90s that I uh, I created on virtual reality sound that now uh, is uh, being created almost um, verbatim uh, right now there's a there's a um, a project out there where the people are, are yeah, doing 3d sound so I may I may have to uh, contact them about the uh, the, the uh, patent infringement there <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh on the mental sorry to interrupt it's just I gotta get this out of my head before I forget on the you were mentioning mental health um, stuff well I'm only thinking about you know future technologies and I've been looking at the space program and that and you know the goal for Elon Musk and maybe other people has been to go to Mars and stuff. Now that's a long trip, and you know we know that you know our bodies degrade and we have to do exercise and do different things. And they've worked on stuff to deal with that problem. But there's the other part, and that is how you know what it's like to be isolated on a little capsule going a long, long way, and you know being put on a hostile planet like that. I'm thinking VR would be a useful tool to help with mental issues like that, to be able to give them simulations of being back Earth or having telepresence where you can actually virtually feel like you're home with your family but you're still stationed on Mars, things like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They uh, actually not just, uh, as I was mentioning, the training that they were doing with VR, but there's a whole other wealth of... And a lot of this information is coming from, by the way, from the virtual augmented reality and serious games for Healthcare One. It's a book um, edited by a, a lot of people, but I believe the first one, the last name is Minhua, I guess, um, Minhua and Co. So there's in this book uh, they're describing a variety of uh, cognitive sort of aids uh, and testing or exam examination procedures that can be done with VR, and so you can do VR. Uh, Back to training for a little bit because it's sort of a good segue. You can um, one of the last projects I was looking on here. It had to do with training medical technicians and like nurses and things like that, but training them how to have a bedside manner or how to interact with patients. And so you can have an actual virtual reality uh, sims basically situation um, for training as well. And then moving on from there, we have virtual reality for neurophysiological assessment, so you can uh, check people's attention, spatial um, attention, learning and memory, things like that that are used to be taken by you know pen and paper tests. You can have more accurate, uh, I suppose, uh, I would call them more accurate um, readings because you not only get the same sort of results of timing and, and sort of speed of reaction and things like that, but you also get a lot of the facial movements and like once again, 3D, I feel like that's really important. Uh, if we want to solve problems or want to understand more about ourselves and reality, that we need to start thinking in 3D because things exist in 3D, and up to this point we've been uh, representing them in 2D, which I feel like uh, sometimes might remove a necessary part of conceptualizing it. So we also have a role of virtual reality in neuropsychology, uh, where you have a neuropsychologist, which is Oh, cool. They're talking about my degree. Uh, when I was uh, getting my degree, which was a while ago, um, uh, it actually was a new faculty, a new um, major that they added to my college uh, in the few years that I was in it. Like the four or five years, they were in the process of really developing their neuroscience field uh, and, de and department. And I got my neuroscience and psychology sort of bridge major 
diploma, but there's really no name for it or anything. Uh, but now it's like in this book. That's really cool. So, of course, neuropsychology, my field, um, you can help people. Uh, you can understand interactions of um, a variety of things through VR instead of having to do it on piece of pen and paper and like with potential people that you like recruit out of your college, you know, psychology department for like 10 bucks a piece. So there's some confounding uh, potentially issues with constantly dealing with the same representative sample of college students. And so I feel like there's a, a lot of variety that VR can offer for testing and understanding of, you know, human cognition and things like that. And there's also uh, ways of testing for Parkinson's and variety of uh, disorders like that in more older people. So we're in, like from kids to, you know, everyone in between to like older people, you can test for Parkinson's and a variety of other things uh, that have to do with cognitive decline uh, through VR and see more accurately and, and detect earlier um, some of these issues, specifically Parkinson's. So there's a lot of cool stuff that has to do with the interaction of the brain or our mind and VR and games and uh, obviously we talked about phobias and things like that. You can legitimately decrease somebody's uh, fearful reaction to uh, you know an, a stimuli like a spider or like I don't know height uh, through exposure to VR um, I don't know, irritants or what you call them. It's kind of like allergy therapy, but for like your fear. So since VR is sort of in the mind and it kind of occupies, it engages the mind a lot. So from there, I don't know if this is a good segue or not to have, to talk about, you know, some of the DARPA-funded blood implants, uh, I mean, sorry, brain implants that travel through the blood and wireless mind control uh, and fun things like that. What do you think? Yeah, sure. That's what I was going to say. It's like uh, a lot of, the, you know, when it comes to the... Uh, you know, there's like a couple of different things that tend to drive humanity, and uh, you know, it's like like porn is what uh, what made the internet internet. But a lot of uh, a lot of our technologies actually come through uh, military uh, needs. In other words, like we, we we've got these uh, a lot of veterans who who have a, a lot of needs that that need to be met in in short order because they uh, you know they they are uh, they're being damaged both physically and, and mentally and, uh, and you know we need to do something about that and so it, that's so some of the th the good things that come out of uh, out of DARPA a lot of times though of course they will they will turn it for uh, for more nefarious ends as well but let's focus on the positive uh, so you know they, they have been developing like uh, there's a you know I think probably I don't know if you provided it in the links or whatever but they but the implants uh, I think that uh, maybe people don't realize that uh, a lot of the sci-fi and things like that like for instance you mentioned the uh, Dusex uh, game coming out, and uh, that's like the, the the newer version of it. But the the whole idea that they're that they're kind of going behind in, in Dusex is that you know you have these augmented humans, which are basically people who've uh, who've been significantly cyberized, who um, you know through one one thing leads to another, and the you, you've got the combination of ludites who are against cyber cyberization in general because of like you know, religious, moral, whatever grounds. Uh, uh, you know the, the the same old argument every time technology comes up you're playing God um, and and you know then you've you, th that's going to be something that happens because here we are we we already are at a point at which uh, significant cyberization is happening so th these are not just sci-fi concepts these are um, these these are right on not just on the horizon but they're already here for instance the you know they ha there is a variety of I, I hope did you put a few of those links in the um, uh, in the description or something babe I'm actually doing that right this moment. 
Good, good. So, so the the funny thing is the uh, Dusex uh, Facebook um, page they, for a long time when they hadn't just came out. One of the things that they kind of kept up with was a lot of the um, the technology that uh, has been developed, and uh, and so they like, they go to conferences and they've been doing a good job of uh, actually kind of being part of an awareness campaign for uh, for prosthetics because here's the thing they they are developing a variety of prosthetics to not just uh, help those who have lost limbs but also uh, people who have lost the use of limbs uh, that happens frequently and so uh, and, and then there's also of course uh, creating things like powered suits to help people who whose uh, bodies no longer work very well or for people who you, you need to be able to uh, you know Carry out extremely strenuous things such as carrying equipment, you know, uh, long miles or loading boxes or, you know, a variety of things. And so all of these things have gotten where uh, brain interface uh, and usage is is uh, is advanced significantly. Where there's a variety of ways in which they, they one of the ways in which they make prosthetics work is through uh, hooking to nerves in the like in the stump, for instance, of a uh, of someone who's who's lost a limb, and uh, and they read the signals from there. A lot of times they'll they'll customize it to that person's what they feel like is where their um, uh, what's it called there? The, the the phantom limb. It's like okay, where do you feel like this is in your phantom limb? And because because the, the nerves are still you know they're still there, but they're kind of on the surface of the skin, and you know, and so they end up hooking things up so that the person can just using thought can uh, can use these um, uh, prosthetic limbs. Well, see, the thing is, that it also goes in the other direction now, where they've been able to um, make. Um, Types of material that can sense pressure and a variety of other types of uh, stimulation, and then send that directly to the brain. Uh, the way that they're uh, doing that, they've got a variety of ways in which they're doing that. And, but one of them is they um, uh, they have implants in the brain, and sometimes that, that requires invasive surgery. But that's why we have a, a link here. The, the the one link that I really recommend the Dusix um, Facebook page got has got lots of great stuff on, on prosthetics. But the uh, uh, if you want a one central point to to kind of jump off from to a lot of different links is this Wired article on the uh, DARPA funded implant that travels to the brain via blood vessels. So this implant they apparently had um, a, you can inject it into a, a vein kind of and it, it put it all the way into the brain uh, through that vein. And uh, apparently they you know, they recorded the brain activity of a sheep for 190 days. Um, and so that's at least that's in one direction. But they also have, uh, you know, other ways in which they use uh, electrodes to uh, to stimulate the brain so that you get the get the signals that uh, that you know devices are sending so there's two-way communication happening they're they're providing sensation and so um, you've, you've got prosthetics that are advancing in a variety of ways uh, they're they're kind of coming at it from a lot of different directions simultaneously and uh, and making it where limbs uh, these these prosthetic limbs become more and more a part of the person and um, What's uh, what's interesting is like for instance uh, some I think some of the other links I might have uh, put in there was that uh, the the ability to read what is going on in the human brain has advanced significantly as well and one of the other shows I'm sure I mentioned the the fact that they could uh, read the, uh, the if you if you gave uh, a couple of different words as a a, a guide using fMRI they could just determine what uh, what 
noun you were thinking with uh, around 70% accuracy uh, from this uh, computer model. So, you know, uh, once, you, once you gave them a, a few different words so that they could know where to, you know, calibrate the device, uh, the language is stored so similarly between people that they can read that. This, and the thing is, uh, the same... Uh, there's there's something about the visual cortex that uh, a lot of people don't realize that I found really interesting is that the 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 first inputs of the visual cortex are arranged like a grid and so it's it's very um, it's very much unlike the rest of the brain which is much more complex. Well, where, um, yeah. If I come in for just a second, the, the interesting thing about the visual cortex in general, which what I found interesting uh, when I was learning about it, was the fact that we have these uh, sort of columns, um, I, which is like, I. speaking of what Jonathan was mentioning, I, for instance, am a very visual learner. Like, if I don't see how things connect, uh, in like, visually first, my brain can't really model them without, like, having seen it at least once and, like, observed the process. So um, I would like to, like, see the actual picture of these, but from what it was described to us and was in the books, it's like they're, they're columns, in the cellular columns, and uh, each one of them responds to a particular, uh, let's say, slant of line. So our visual cortex is broken down um, so much to the point where one particular cellular column will respond to a... Um, forward slash. One particular will, different one will respond to a backward slash. One will respond to a vertical line. The other one will respond to a horizontal line. And so that's how we see uh, is because these different columns that correspond to different lines activate in the certain you know 360 field of the retina, and it does how it creates that image. Yeah, so it's I very directing. Yeah, it's very direct and simple, and then it goes through successive layers of processing that become more and more complex after that. But at the at the you know at the basic level, there's some really simple, direct, and grid-like you know layout in the brain that uh, that makes it where uh, they've actually been able to um, gather information from a person uh, dreaming. And I think it's with uh, a little over 60% accuracy that they were able to match to images that they found on the internet, and uh, and of course it's with it being a learning algorithm, it'll get better over time. But they're able to read people's dreams. Now, of course, uh, that's it's very general right now. Where basically, if it's a tree, you know, then they might be able to pull up tree. Or if they were reading, then they'll probably pull up a bunch of different characters from, you know, like uh, text characters from books, etc. And so, so it's very, very general, but. The, the point is here is that the technology is uh, going to a point where we will have brain interface with computers and it'll be very direct and uh, and a lot of people don't I, I, we've got this uh, superstitious desire to make the the uh, you know the human brain be um, something magical uh, however you know it is a it is a system um, and so the, 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 the point here is that cyberization is something that we're going to have to to deal with and this and you know, what's unfortunate is I've already begun to uh, recognize that there is a growing group of uh, people who are, are kind of against it uh, like very viscerally like uh, for instance at uh, one of the, the conferences that uh, we went to uh, people were against transhumanism now trans the transhumanism Humanism movement is is basically they're kind of embracing cyberization. They're embracing um, you know uh, expanding their lives through uh, through the use of, of different types of, of technology. And uh, and these the people who are in the spiritual community 
are actually extremely against it. Like, uh, and I find it strange because you know here you have a group of people who believe that you know the spirit can reside everywhere and anywhere, and yet then when you talk about their spirit, the spirit residing in a, a machine, suddenly they don't like it. So it's like, okay, so the spirit can reside in the rocks and in the trees, and but if you put it in a machine that we make, then suddenly it's not okay. I don't understand that, but they they have this. There's like this growing thing where they all agree. They're all like, oh yeah, transhumanism is the worst thing ever. And so it's uh, so you've already got the roots of this kind of conflict that we will be facing. And unfortunately, if you if you, when you when it comes down to it, it's going to be some of the most vulnerable and some of the people who we were trying to help. Here we have got you know we've been developing these technologies for people who've lost limbs, people who've been, who've served you know their country and have have lost a tremendous amount. We're trying to bring that back to them. And then you know you're going to have these people who are who are against against them. You know, and so it's it's. Uh, I'm glad that there are, uh, you know, here we have science fiction, and science fiction is really kind of becoming more, you know, the whole movie industry, et cetera, is kind of moving into video games. And, uh, and and typically we've explored these ideas that you know that are on the horizon, very near on the horizon. We've been able to explore them and, and think about them, and you know, and figure out how things could go wrong, so that we can see the ways through to find the ways that you know things might go right as well. And so I'm really glad that there are uh, these sources of um, of sci-fi that are that are bringing this conversation to the forefront because uh, do sex, like 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 I said, they're they're actually actively engaged in conferences for prosthetics, and they're you know they're constantly Constantly showing all of these ways in which uh, prosthetics are being advanced through, like for instance, uh, you know, getting a, a uh, 3D printed uh, prosthetic arm now is now extremely easy to uh, accomplish. And uh, you know that that's uh, there was this video of uh, of um, who's the actor who plays Iron Man? I can't remember um, remember his name, but anyway, he he actually like went and gave Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he, he he took this uh like 3D printed arm to a kid who like you know who needed it, and it was like because uh, he was a he was a fan of Iron Man and stuff, and so it was this little kid getting a new arm through it. It was it was just it was you know it was touching, it was cool. Um, so but it, the point is, it's just it's uh. Uh, there's a conversation that that uh, is already happening because cyberization is already happening. There is already these brain interfaces. The brain can be read and written to to a, to a limited extent. In other words, we have we have ways in which things are input into our brains, and once we just start to use those inputs more directly, um, then we will be able to use com uh, computer devices and things like that. And so so that is also very much on the horizon. That will happen within most of our lifetimes, where uh, people. Will be able to access. Um, so, so here we have, you know, where everyone's okay with uh, with helping out someone who's lost uh, function in their, you know, in their arms, and we, you know, we found different ways of doing that. But here's here's the other thing. Uh, there's uh, loss of brain function that happens very frequently with uh, with you know concussions. And so you've got you know people who've been football and boxing, and of course in war, uh, there's a loss of brain function, and and we actually already use deep brain stimulation techniques. Things that are uh, that are more invasive. However, it, it is uh, you know it's it's kind of automatic that that's going to be transitioning uh, to interfacing with computers and actually augmenting a person's ability to perform cognitive functions. In other words, literally neural prosthetics are on the uh, on the horizon as well. We're not quite there, but we are very very close. Um, you know between uh, the um, you know neural networks and uh, and how well those are are progressing towards uh, creating AI. So you'll actually have people who have these neural um, implants, and so then 
the thing is, you've got these people who are who who are who are, have that ludite um, feel about them, and they have that prejudice, and they have, you know, uh, you know, what are we going to do when when we have these people that we've helped, and then you have these people who, you know, look at them as, in some way as as they either have an unfair advantage because uh, that's already starting to happen. By the way, people are actually using prosthetics; they they can sometimes outperform uh, people with regular legs when they have pro certain types of prosthetic legs. Um, and so, you know, there, there's going to be this, this, uh, you know, kind of an envy. But then, at the same time, you know, the, a lot of times these are, these are people who've lost something, and we've just, we're just, you know, making up the difference. So, at the same time, you're also going to have people who uh, want to augment themselves, and they're going to augment themselves, and that is going to happen. But that is going, to, of course, be something that is for the very wealthy alone, and those people who don't have the resources to do so are not going to uh, have the same advantages. And so there is a kind of uh, uh, interesting social unrest that a lot of people, you know, we we tend to just kind of focus on what's going on right now, but there that is something that is going to be. Uh, you know, kind of on the, on the horizon here in the next, you know, 20 to 50 years. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess I, I just uh, I like to see how th there is this, you know, there is this potential for good or ill and, um, you know, uh, keeping an eye out uh, for, the, uh, for the positive ways in which we can use technology I think is very important because we can't go backwards. It's uh, we keep, you know, the people keep going back and forth between the idea of like, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't do that. That's really not part of the equation. Uh, the, the idea that you shouldn't do something uh, when it comes to advancing technology is not reasonable because we will. Uh, it's a. <laughs> I, I really recommend the uh, the Ghost in the Shell uh, series, by the way, because because uh, they are uh, they, they've already seen far enough in the future. That's one of the things with the the Japanese that they uh, they've been developing uh, technologies. By the way, it was the Japanese. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, actually found did the first uh, dream reading, uh, dream recording um, that was done. Uh, like I said, there's some. Uh, I think we've got some links that we'll we'll put in the low bar or whatever. Um, and so, you know, they've kind of had the the idea that this is this is on the horizon, and how you know how are people going to interact? Because you know, then there's the idea that once you once you augment your brain, you have additional abilities through you know the use of of uh, you know. Uh, processors and things like that that the human beings haven't really had access to before then you also open yourself up to things like viruses and you know the uh, like computer viruses and so uh, there's a variety of things that are um, that I think are, are right here on not just on the horizon but are happening right now and people uh, you know they either want to stick their head in the sand and don't believe that it could possibly be true because you know this this uh, meat machine that we're made up of is uh, is whole, you know somehow special it's funny you know uh, how many times you can actually interact with a person who uh, who's you know they're they, they don't have any kind of religious viewpoint they're, they they find themselves to be strictly scientific yet when you start talking about the idea of a, of a human consciousness being in a, a machine or something like that they they suddenly fly off the handle as though we are not meat machines it's like so what is it that you believe do you believe we're magic uh, and it's just so funny how they never really identify that they have this kind of basic belief that we're that we're magic on the inside um, and uh, and so so there's kind of you know facing this this coming future, uh, whenever things start to change very dramatically, you uh, people tend to have a pushback, and they either kind of you know ball up and just deny it, which is uh, where where all of us kind of know about those old codgers who you know are uh, ranting about technology, and then their you know uh, horseless carriages are going to be the end of us all, uh, you know, and so you you have this this happening over and over, and it's it, it's just funny. I think that. Um, 
I think that because of the the, the use of video games and, and things like that and the, and sci-fi, those people who are part of that will have an advantage to you know be able to kind of accept that there are, there's these possibilities of things going in certain ways and things going wrong and and I don't know kind of seeing the technologies because once you you know you're introduced to those ideas and wires that are just kind of fun at first and they seem like that's something that's not very real then you go into you do the research and you find out holy shit this is actually this is real you know this is this is actually occurring you know yeah they put they made a dra uh, you know dramatization and a story of of you know the future but it's based upon something that is actually going on right now uh, and so I, I think that you know when we as we are developing these things we're going to have to be careful but we have to be able to know that we, we can't stop the future we can't you know we can't stop those things that are going to uh, continue to progress but what we can do is to be is to not stick our heads in the sand and be aware that they're coming and therefore try to think about the ways in which we can make sure that things don't go wrong before they ever do. And I think that's uh, that's what I, why I love sci-fi. That's why I love uh, how video games have become the new the new way in which sci-fi makes itself into the uh, you know the the, the public mind. And uh, it's just funny how much games have done for. Um, uh, there's there's a few different uh, like TED talks about the ways in which video games uh, help people's brains and and and, it, and it's funny you've got this entire gamer generation that's that's uh, been you know kind of kicked around for so long because the older generation is like oh them old video games they're in the horseless carriages and and so you know you got those those luddites who uh, who don't want technology to progress and yet it progresses anyway and we and and here you have a generation of people who are a little more uh, capable of of uh, you know, grasping the new technologies because that's just kind of how it works. So uh, I, I guess that's uh, that's my whole shtick. Well, like what I think of is um, I think technology, if used wisely, um, can actually bring out um, more of our humanity. For instance, VR could be used to um, um, bring out more empathy. I did a simulation where I got to see what it was like to have cerebral palsy and what it was like to go out and do everyday jobs like getting groceries and stuff like that. I think it was cerebral palsy. It's the one where you lose motor control and it, it, an everyday thing like trying to grab a cup, you know, a can of coffee grounds or whatever is like really hard or you forget how to suddenly count how much change you need to give the cashier. Everyday jobs, how it makes it like feel really difficult, or, yeah. or becoming a different gender, or being a different profession, or what it's like to be a soldier on a on a on a battlefield, or being able to simulate all types of lives that we a lot of people don't know what it feels like. Yeah, it might that actually was, that was just know, it that. might actually make it easier to empathize with other people. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was before. It was always confined. You had to be a reader. You had to be somebody who read novels to really get that. And that's something that they've, you know, kind of uh, shown about people who read novels is they ha they've been able to. It's an exercise in empathy and knowing what these other characters are going through and their motivations and kind of getting their internal monologue, all of that sort of thing. So you 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 have to read a tremendous amount to really be able to. Uh, Develop your empathy, you know, kind of in a in a direct fashion. Whereas the tons of people don't, they either don't have the time or they don't have the interest or whatever. And so here you have VR providing a platform that is fun and an engaging and easy uh, way to advance people's, um, you know, their 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 empathy. That it, that really is a, uh, a an interesting thing that's that's going on. And, and the funny thing is. As the as VR progresses and you've got uh, you, you the preservation of um, 
you know, all of these things in 3D. Uh, once we uh, once we actually start to cyberize more and more, the the ability to actually directly experience those things, um, you know, the the we will be glad that we will that we have. Uh, uh, captured history in that format so that it can be better experienced through a, a cyberized means. Oh yeah, I mean, there's times I wish that I could have, um, you know, my grandfather was, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a farmer thing or what it was, but or maybe it was the generation. The family would gather around him, and he would have the craziest stories of what it was like in the old days, and he was so good at telling stories. But he only he only went to school up to grade three, but he could orally tell the most amazing stories. And I always wondered what it was like if what it would be like if he had technology where you could wear it, and you don't even have to think about it anymore, and you just capture, you know, your experiences, and future generations or whoever you want to share it with can actually step into that and be there, you know, in time as that person. Yeah, and experience their entire life. Yeah, I mean, I mean that would be like a treasure if you could like see what it was like for your grandfather, or share that with someone else, or you know, I can imagine a, a kind of a, a YouTube type thing where people start recording their own lives in that way and sharing them, unedited, just raw. Yeah, yeah, it's it, things like that. There's there are so many different positive possibilities in our future, and you know, one of the things is a when you're the the programmer type of person and things like that, it, it, you actually you tend to have this view of things that is you try to look at the ways that things could go wrong, and so you end up kind of it can it's a it's a brain it's a mindset that can go terribly wrong because you start thinking oh it could go wrong this way it could go wrong that way it's never going to work you know it's it, it, because you start seeing all the ways that things could go wrong and that's it's it's a valuable resource to have people who are troubleshooters who are thinking all of all the ways that things are going wrong because we have to have that but at the same time. You really need people who are dreaming of the re of everything that could go right. We have to have something to look forward to. We have to be able to. The, the future is coming. There's something going to happen. And if we can see as many different ways that things could go right as possible, then we can have something to shoot for, something to aim for, something you know, a direction to move towards, and not just a trying to hold back everything and and just in, in a belief that everything's going to go wrong. And so it's it's funny how you've got these two different kinds of you know engineer versus art artist mindsets and how they it's important that they work together. Winter is coming. We have heard suspiciously little from the birthday doge who may not be here. Sorry for putting you on the spot, Brian. Um, <laughs> if there's anything at all you It's his like. birthday. He can do anything you no, want. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. It's just you guys are uh, carrying on just fine. I mean, I, I'm having uh, um, I'm not really sure that there's much I can add. I, I think that there's a lot of good there and uh, definitely, you know, uh, VR has, it seems like it's almost going it, to, it's like, it's going to be a tool that is actually probably more useful, not as a game or not as simply as entertainment, but rather as things uh, for training and education and um, to put, you know, like what uh, Jonathan was talking about for empathy. Uh, provided that it is, of course, you know, used responsibly, and and um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that that uh, you know, you guys are basically covering most of the bases. So, well, you know something, 
in the world of social um, internet type stuff and you know chat and all that and having avatars one curious thing that has kind of arisen in development of using creating social chat platforms used for like VR is that especially in the adult side in VR you can create an avatar that is completely virtually supposed to be you and everybody always has a tendency to make themselves as hot and beautiful as possible but one strange thing started to happen is that that hotness didn't really you know attract anybody what attracted people and created bonds was your personality and who you were it actually forced people to actually have to look past that and forced them to actually have conversations and things like that because everybody looked good that's so that's, yeah. No, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So basically, that, that, that's because um, I think that has more to do with uh, uh, we as people. We have like a desire for other people to see us not as we are, but as we would like to be, and less to do with the uh, actual technology. Because in, in a VR thing, right, like it, let's say, and, and this is kind of a big if, because currently I think that uh, virtual reality and the processing power to make it work, because you know, you would need a very powerful machine so that it runs at a certain frame rate and you would have to um, pay pretty good money to get, you know, that as well as the VR itself plus enough people would have to use it in order to make it viable enough. But let's say down the line because as we um, get into a new sort of technological field, uh, what often comes is first it comes out and it's really expensive. So you get your first adopters, which are the people who have the resources to afford it, and they start to use it. And as they do that, then the people who have developed it can find ways to develop it, develop it cheaper over time. And then after a while, everyone can get access to it. Just consider um, cell phones. In the 80s, people had cell phones, but they are incredibly expensive. So you had to be literally like Mike, Michael Douglas from Wall Street to have one. Uh, but today, everybody has them. I live in a really low-income area, and most people here have cell phones. And it was mainly because of uh, those early adopters. So over time, perhaps, uh, VR will have advanced in technology because the current cell phones today are way, way better than the ones from the 1980s, and they're a lot cheaper, too. Um, so imagine in 10 years or however long uh, it, it might take, there is, and also you have to consider that the younger generation that is more sort of attracted to technology than older generations. Like uh, people who watch TV today are mostly older people who don't understand YouTube. They don't get the internet, so they just turn on the boob tube. You know, um, so that would be the same. You know, like uh, the younger people that want that are more interested in uh, futurism are going to. Uh, adopt rather this into their lifestyle, and the older people, when as they sort of uh, then will become more viable medium, and it is likely that the mediums will either adapt or they will die as well. Uh, like, uh, for example, you were talking about the horse and buggy thing. Um, that is definitely a dead technology. I, I'm using the word technology loosely here. But it still exists. Like, you know, you can find Mennonites, and there are places in Chicago where people do it for the novelty and all that. But it's not practical. People don't keep horses in the city. So 
Um, it's sort. It'll probably go that way. Uh, but anyway, going back to what I was saying before, when enough people have access to VR and the technology isn't expensive, um, so expensive and sort of uh, inaccessible to the majority of people. What will likely follow is we will probably get social networking that will be done through that. Um, not long ago, for example, on there was, what was it, the Second Life, which people can go into and they could like, I don't even know what you do in that game. I guess you just, it's like The Sims, but you talk to other people and you can have relationships with them and all that. And of course you can make your avatar look however you like. I'm guessing that um, as we move forward in uh, virtual reality technology, it will also likely, uh, just like many other um, mediums, it will probably be uh, first used to uh, essentially interact with other people. So it'll be used as a networking thing. Imagine a Facebook-like thing where you actually travel and walk around in some kind of virtual space and you can talk to other people who happen to be online and interact with them and hang out without actually leaving your living room. I'm guessing that that will be uh, one of the goals well, of, of it. Brian, can I actually interject? We're yeah. already there. We're, we're already there. You could buy a $99 um, um, Gear VR and stick your Samsung phone in it and they've also got alt space and all that stuff to go in and you can socialize with people around the world. You could even you know, get phone calls while you're socializing and share the phone call with everyone you're socializing with. You can transport yourself to any environment you want and you, you could do that. You could share a video, watch a movie together, you could do all kinds of stuff. That's on the low end. Actually, you go even lower, you could use Google Cardboard type stuff, which still uses cell phones, which people already have. On the upper end, you could get a, an Oculus or a, a Vive. Um, and there's like 20 or 30 other headsets that are coming down the line. So, I mean, we're already there, and they're, they're, they're using technology that everybody already has. They're starting off with having the high end for early adopters that you're talking about. They can afford it to help because mm -hmm. that's what's going to like help pay for it and push the technology. But they're also going to the people that have cell phones. And uh, I guess I could throw it $99 or $30 to buy like a housing to stick it in with the proper optics and that in. and Or Google Cardboard for people that are even cheaper. And they can get it for like 5 or $10. So... You know, they've been trying to cover all the bases, and they've been trying to cover it in a way that pretty much anyone has, like nobody has any excuse not to try it out or use it. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the Vive and the Oculus Rift stuff eventually will be, you know, you know, their first units coming out, yes, will be what would be Google Cardboard now. We will get to the point where we won't have to wear such huge headsets. Actually, what excites me more is AR over VR, the idea that I can have a mixed reality where I can bring, you know, simulated stuff into the real world. Augmented reality, right. Yeah. Like Pokemon Go. Sort of. Yeah, except that's not true AR. That's more of an experiment where you look at a screen and you imagine you can kind of see this computerized thing overlaid over the video. Yeah. This is where there's an actual three-dimensional thing in your view it at all times and you can interact with your environment and it tells you something about it. So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of. I think they uh, they tried to do a little bit of that with uh, Google Glass, and I think uh, I, did Google Glass also have the instead of like there's one way in which you you actually project it onto the glass and it and it reflects back to you, but then there's uh, they have it where basically it's kind of projecting directly onto the retina from a like a very tiny projector, and so you you have what's you know you basically you wear glasses that you're seeing through. It's just like a regular thin pair of like you know typical like reading glasses kind of glasses, and uh, but then because it's there's a tiny lens that it can reflect off of, uh, it can then project a large uh, you know a large full screen image that can you know be uh, augmented reality. Yeah, the thing that I'm excited to get is called the uh, Meta 2 and that um, the you know founder of that company he's a neuroscientist so um, and he's also like this kind of whiz guy or whatever and he worked for the military so he's you're talking about military you know technology driving us forward well he's one of those guys but he went into the private sector and formed this company and he wants to kind of but he wants to get rid of regular computer screens that we don't we won't need them in the future. We don't need to have like three screens or whatever. We'll have an unlimited real estate now. And it'll be the entire world. So Yeah, that's going that's basically going to be the future. I mean it, it it's happening. It's going that way. And it's just it's a, a matter of uh you know, how do we want to make sure that it, we drive it before it gets here, because that's the thing. We got to lay out plans and make sure it goes in the direction we want it to go, and not, you know, in just any way that it could go, which could go terribly wrong as well. Yeah, and I mean, the train's already left the station, so it's up to everybody in society to, you know, add their voice to, you know, how it's going to evolve and, sh- and and change and stuff. We're not going to stop it. We never have been able to stop technology, but we certainly can, you know, shape it together to be something that serves as many people as possible for the good. Yeah, good stuff. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, we have uh, you know evidence of it helping already. And yeah, like you guys said, it's already here. We're already doing cyberization as, you know, if you guys are paying any attention in the video a little bit, you could see that there's a man, an amputee who, you know, has um, now basically equivalent of working arms. And of course, we had uh, some runners with, you know, little bionic legs. You know, it's already happening. And uh, what you guys are talking about there with the Google Glass, et cetera, kind of reminded me of Eden of the East, which is a fun anime movie, series, whatever. Um, and that's a lot of fun and has kind of kind of a similar premise of um, seeing added augmented reality uh, and it's kind of like um, it reminds me a lot of what Flickr was doing a bunch of years ago there's a TED talk about it where they had a reconstruction of 3D imagery based on uh, photos that people were uploading so they were using the entirety of Flickr's database of uh, user submitted photos uh, as a way to tag them to geological loca- to geolocations and create basically their own equivalent of a, of a 3D type thing and um, obviously VR can help do that much easier but uh, as you guys were also mentioning the price tag is a bit on the higher side at the moment but eventually it will be less so currently I think more of the, the vets and the amputees are the ones kind of getting the the benefit of the early adoption without having to spend a lot of money because it's being, you know, tested still at this point. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, that that fellow he he actually only gets a very very short period of time to try that. It, he doesn't get to take that home, and because it's not been approved, and so he, even though uh, his progress was, you know, you could see he was he was still a little bit off. That was with very little time, and uh, the doctors know that he would, you know, if he had, had the ability to take that home, he'd be using it like his own limbs, uh, you know, very easily. But the, you know, just just. I, I don't know. I think it's like a, he only gets like a, an hour a, a week or something for for like a month, uh, you know. And he was still using the, the limbs, you know, almost like his own. But you know something? Uh -huh. oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that um, for those that still can't afford it and they want a premium experience, I mean, I remember back in the '80s when Apple and you know all the companies were fighting over like schools and trying to have their computer to be what schools use to uh, get kids into this new technology that, that they've been building up, you know, this new marketplace. And, you know, Apple was huge in that part, sort of thing. And uh, I've been seeing them doing that with VR. Um, kids are going to be going to school and they're going to be introduced and using these devices. So they're already being introduced and they're going to be expecting it and, and they're going to be very adept, and they're going to be excited about it, and they're going to be developing this stuff. So I guess we all have to start kind of catching up because they're already being introduced to it. If this is going to be their their future, their world. So we have to shape it, though, for them. Yep, and definitely make sure it goes in the right direction. You know, uh, on the whole, you know, anti-technology uh, thing, it's one of those things that I've I put a lot of thought into personally because, you know, I used to just be like, well, of course, technology is just great. It's the greatest thing ever. I, I, I had a natural affinity to technology from, uh, but then, you know, after a while, you like we really look into all the different things that have gone terribly wrong for everything from, you know, keeping us separated from each other, you know, in, in ways that are completely not, you know, uh, natural to the, the, the way that our, that we evolved and, you know, a, a variety of the ways in which we've, we've created technology uh, related illnesses and, you know, things like that. And you start to be like, man, maybe this isn't the great, the best thing ever. But, you know, the, the thing is you have to look at it from a perspective. You know, people try to say, oh, it's just, it's not natural. It's not natural. Uh, that's, that's, it's kind of a fallacy when you think about it because, it everything so long as I mean okay if, if you've got a religious thing against it I don't, I don't know that there's much I can I can really say but uh, but if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective and you know that's what that's what evolution has been doing that's what life has been doing this entire time is creating new ways to solve problems just because they're they happen to be you know uh, wet nanotech doesn't mean that it isn't technology it is a technological advancement each time that a species uh, you know finds new ways to solve problems uh, the new ways to do things, new ways to interact with each other. All of those things are technological advances. Technology is the, that's that's what life does, and so to say that technology is not natural is an absurdity. Because uh, it, I think it, if at its basis that there's nothing more natural than the uh, production and evolution uh, of technology. So I, I guess it's just one of those things when you know I, I'm sure that. You know, plenty of people like myself have had those conversations about, you know, the the woes of technology versus the advantages of technology, and I know that's you know, always come up uh, in you know uh, crowds of of people who like you know do programming and things like that. But uh, you know, I, I I guess I just kind of wanted to add that so that people kind of you know if you think about that, that is that the argument that that people typically bring, it just it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, technology is a natural progression, and it's just something that so long as you uh, you adapt 
and uh, and find ways for it to work, then it is it, it is categorically good because you have to take the good with the bad. That's just how reality works. You have to realize everything has a has a downside to it, and so you just maximize the the good parts and accept that there will be losses. Amen. Absolutely agree with that. Um, and yeah, that's basically uh, we're talking about technology and progressing forward. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of people in the extremely like. Some would call it bullish, or just you know the li really liberal, uh, spiritual, you know, left. Where um, yeah, they are strangely bigoted against uh, any kind of cyberization, which I would assume them to be the first adopters. Uh, but instead, they're being kind of like this classic prejudiced um, thing that Overwatch, the game, and do sex, mankind divided, is going forward. It's like, uh, and this kind of reminds me because uh, we're talking about all this, and and Loot Grade Gaming's theme that we just got was uh, Mecca. And um, that's why we had a little claptrap. Anyway, um, unboxing video coming soon. <laughs> the um, the point is though, Borderlands and other games uh, have already been, you know, talking about this, and uh, TV shows have been talking about this. By TV shows, I mean like movies, is is what I meant. Uh, we had like Automata and and Ex Machina, and um, iRobot was a bit too far back. But in the past, you know, just um, five to to ten years, we really had. A, a big um, confluence is that even the right word? Yeah, well, it's like things confluence is things coming together. So yeah, there's yeah. A, a lot of it's coming it's coming together from a lot of different angles. I agree. A and, lot of entertainment, media, and just movies. They're just having this conversation, and I think uh, Kurzweil's uh, Singularity uh, article uh, thing kind of possibly kicked it off strongly. Yeah, but at the same time, it it, it kicked off the. Uh, the, the bigoted thing, I, I, I just find it, I, it just blows my mind because, you know, the spiritual group of people who consider themselves very spiritual and things like that, their biggest thing is like this acceptance and not being bigoted and, and here they are almost ubiquitous. I, I was just dumbfounded to find out that they're almost all, you know, uh, adopting this this type of uh, of uh, bigotry is that the right word? Uh, you know, towards cyberization, towards uh, AI as well, of course. Okay. Well, you know, um, so it's like so. So they'll be the ones who who don't grant any validity. Once we have strong AI, they'll be the first ones decrying that it doesn't actually have a soul. Is what it seems like to me, which is just uh, that's just exactly the opposite of what their whole philosophy is usually you know supposed to be geared towards. That's the the picture they give of themselves. That exa is exactly the opposite of it. Look, so I was just overwhelmed. I have a theory, um, and I'm sure they have their counterpart in the the more conservative. Uh, like I, you know, I, I doubt Alex Jones is like thrilled about having AI and cyborgs. You know what I'm saying? Like I bet, I bet there's a counterpart to this uh, liberal in the in you know the other side of the political spectrum. But I the other um, side of the horseshoe. Yes, exactly. So I, I'm having a little bit of fun of the, uh, fun with this, but um, so. Hold on a second. Uh, I just had this great idea, and then it, it slipped away. But um, we're talking about having these people who are in the specifically con there is, contact in the desert community. So it's a lot of people, sure, um, at this conference. And I'm sure, like I said, they have their counterpart in the other spectrum of politics. But it's possible, really just hear me out, that this group of people um, at the contact in the desert convention, like their, their type of um, community, uh, not huge, but you know, not small either. They got their thing going, and you remember how in the middle of that random panel there was that random, oh my God, worship women thing, little brain aneurysm where you just had to like stop and pray to women. Oh my God, yeah, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, just... I'm, wanting, 
I'm considering putting that. I don't know how how much I can share of that publicly. So I don't know if I can put it on YouTube publicly, but I'm kind of considering sharing it with patrons because the, there's a whole point I got that DVD of that panel because it was like in the middle of nowhere. It was just suddenly like, let's pause and pray to women. <laughs> it was bizarre. But it was weird. It was so almost, it, and it was very religious like. And the funny, funny right. thing is that that there is within that community of uh, it, it it's there's these set beliefs that you have to have the whole set. You can't. You got to take both the baby and the bathwater. Right. You, know, so you have all like, these. Yeah. You have these group of people that are like, okay, so the earth is the mother and the women are the greatest, so patriarchy sucks, right? Therefore, by extension. And uh, everything vibrates to an energy, and so, like, you know, aliens are awesome because they're the ones that, like, give us the energy, and, like, we vibrate on this energy. But then, like, anything that man creates, you know, you notice I said anything that man creates, you know? So uh, if we were to create, like, AI and cyberization that men, the patriarchy did, that would just be, like, it would kill us all, Terminator, like... But, you know, like aliens and all this other spiritual shit and there's consciousness and everything else that's of the mother, of the natural, of the feminine, of the bullshit. And I, I, that's, that's my theory. There we go. They really don't know history, do they? And they really don't know what man means. <laughs> I yeah, mean, it, man it, means humanity. All of us, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe we really shouldn't have got rid of, you know, the males, you know, uh, what is it? Um, we had our own... Um, Name to you it know got, you mean Wehrman? Yeah, Wehrman. Maybe we shouldn't have lost that because ever since then, you know, everything's been blamed on. You know, when we say man, we're actually referring to mankind, like all humanity. But they they you know say it's it's patriarchy, it's it's man. But it's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Stopping in the middle of the desert, which reminds me, Anna. You'd be excited because you know you know that Fallout Four they're going to be releasing a VR version next year. That is exciting. What platforms though? All, all of, them, of them. Oh, fun! They first said the Vive, but I know it's going to be out for all of them. I mean, they'd have to. It'd be ludicrous. They're probably they said the Vive first because Oculus doesn't have its touch controllers out, but they will be out by then. Well, I'm considering looking into uh, getting a VR type. And obviously there's so many, and they're all really steeply priced uh, for, you know, uh, there's yeah. really no, no entry piece. Um, and I'm kind of really considering the, the PS4, uh, potentially, well, I was, but, but recently I heard that the, the Xbox One is actually going to have, they're coming out with this, like, Scorpio or something it's called, which is basically a much stronger processor. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's an assumption that is going to actually have VR come with it because they're kind of gearing up to have that really strong processor for VR, and it makes more sense to go ahead and get this stronger, um, higher resolution, you know, basically VR-ready Xbox uh, vehicle instead of going for the PS4, which is currently at a lower resolution. So I'm still like not sure yeah, what we're yeah. going to do with all that, but yeah. So I don't know. I'd like to <laughs> I still have so many games to play, but um, of course we have to talk about you know the the adventure kind of reminded me of um, Leisure Suit Larry for some reason because that would be the VR game I would play. But I mean, think about like oh <laughs> Grand Theft Auto and all games like that. I mean, and just we already have the feminist uh, group, uh, the, the feminism what is it 3.0 um, on the web. Um, they're already uh, coming out against uh, Cortana on the like Windows 10 and a variety of other things like that because and I think it was Lori Penny too that had this infamous article title that why do men have like 
why do we have like female robots or female AI, female AIs or some such as that we, people don't like to consider their feelings. It's like, what, are you serious? We're talking about literal program AI non-existent characters and you're saying we don't care about their feelings? Are you, you're out of your mind. Just, oh my god. I can't even begin to address the insanity of that article title uh, and the whole article itself. But just the idea is already that we are abusing women because of Cortana telling her what to do and Siri telling her what to do. So I can only imagine... What about Siri's feelings? God. Exactly. Her around. I just don't care about her feelings because she's a fucking robot that's not a person. Oh my god. I can't even. Oh my god. So um, I can already imagine the shitstorm that uh, games, not even Leisure Suit Larry, that would never be allowed potentially if the, if we do not break away from people who seek to control everything that other people do. Um, uh, ironically, if, if, if VR like becomes a really big hit, one of the um, most important adopters uh, of it in order to make that possible will be the porn industry. And I know that they're already looking into it. But if it blows up with porn, it's going to blow up everywhere. It's going to blow up everywhere. Yeah, it's already started. I was going to talk about that. It's like, uh, I actually meant to earlier, but I, I forgot that was part of the context, that you guys were talking about like uh, that uh, military is what gets uh, technology. Like, sure, yeah, but no, but porn does first. <laughs> and there's some links there. Oh, oh absolutely. Uh, I mean, with yeah. the military thing, it's it's got its uses, but, um, you know, the average person is is, like, way less concerned with what's going on with the, the, the military. That's, that's infinitesimally small compared to the number of people that use it for, that would use it for porn. That, that would be much bigger. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. I love that in the low bar there's not only do we have robots with basically uh, skin-like features and real dolls already exist in that sense. I mean it would be once we develop a comprehensive AI which you know Boston Dynamics is working on the motion, albeit awkwardly, um, you might well, okay, I was, like, was going to make a really bad joke about nerds, which I am one myself, but I'm not going to because that would be mean. But um, anyway, Boston Dynamics are working on the motion, and then the real walls already have the kind of skin uh, texture, and there's a, a real skin, uh, smart skin uh, for prosthetics uh, that I linked in the low bar, and as well as another link to Robotica, which is uh, talking about sex robots, basically. So we're already getting there, uh, and the... Feminist sort of uh, outrage, I can only imagine. But you know what we what feminist outrage usually is is what you guys see on the screen there. It's complete hypocrisy. Oh, anyway, Brian, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add on top of that is uh, just as an aside uh, to the porn thing. Um, you know when when um, people on on Twitter and in social media they make jokes about uh, you know why um, we need to elect certain presidents, and and the 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 joke is. Elect President X, and you know they will be able to perform miracles for the country, right? I mean, it's a joke. It, it means that you know you're putting a, a, lot, a bit too much faith in this person. But one of the one of the recurring uh, running gags is you know elect President X, and they usually say this about like Ron Paul and like these sort of third party guys, um, and he'll make anime real, and uh, that that's that's obviously funny. But the fact is, um, if the porn industry uh, makes the virtual reality thing huge, it will make anime real. <laughs> so you will, you will, Japan will be all up on and there will be cell shaded Neko girls and succubi for, for you to virtually have sex with. I'm not kidding. Well, you know, totally you know something, happen. Brian? Well, you know something, Brian? They're like, I saw this, there's this technology. It's kind of like a telepresence thing. 
but it's also with the VR stuff and that, where you've got this, I guess, this thing for a man to put their penis in, and then they got this thing for a female to insert yep. into her, and it will transmit her contractions, whatever she's doing with her body, over to him, and he will feel, so it'll be like he's feeling like as if he's having sex with her remotely. And then when you have VR, like a 3D thing, um, and you you can interact, but you can have virtual, you know, transmitted sex through the through the internet. I mean, but imagine, you know, it starts with sex, but imagine applying that to other things like I don't know, sending out remote robots to be able to you know pick things up, and then the sense that it it gets off of the surface, it transmit, and you could feel it to control these things because it's hard for robots to you know, manually, you know, control things because they don't understand the sense of touch and other things like that. But it all starts with the sex thing, and I just thought that well, was... Well, it, it, yeah, it's true. And the thing is, too, is um, I, I saw a video where they're, they're saying, and of course this could be... Because the thing about VR is, is actually the... I think the first VR machine was in the 1980s. Um, so it's pretty old. I mean, back then, though, the only thing they could look at were, like, wireframe you know, uh, rooms and stuff. But they were messing with the idea back then. Uh, so now they're talking about, and I say they with a capital T, um, <laughs> how to include, because the one thing that is another shortcoming of virtual reality is, is that it doesn't actually take advantage of all of our senses. So there is um, something missing. Like we don't have the, the sense of smell isn't being included and the sense of touch, right? Um, so, but that's also something that they're working on, and they're gonna. They, the I think that what the goal would be would be to essentially trick the brain into thinking that you're touching something or smelling something, as opposed to uh, creating an actual, you know, um, stimulus in the area, like a uh, physical object that you're touching, because that would probably, even though it would require more time to get right, that would actually probably be more cost effective in the long run if they can do that. So, and um. One of the other things I was thinking is, and this just as an aside, you know, uh, it's 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 obvious that there would be a, a benefit to the industry's growth, especially if the porn industry, which it has begun doing, they're already using 360 cameras, and uh, they're including VR in their stuff, and of course it's a multi-billion-dollar industry, so they can afford to do that. Um, it's it's really great that that exists, but I wonder if there isn't some, like, what the uh, uh, ultimate goal could be is instead of um, just allowing people to escape and go, you know, uh, I don't know, have sex with, like, uh, Hatsukune Miku or whatever her name is, um, but instead to actually interact with other real people and maybe try to build something with them using these tools to connect to other human beings. Uh, I, I think that that would be something that I would like to see more of. Um, personally. Yeah, like a version of, of Minecraft. It'll, I mean, you have these unbelievable worlds that people create in Minecraft. Imagine what they're going to do with VR. Yeah. And ultimately, people always want to get together. I mean, that's... I bet Internet was created not necessarily to download porn alone or per se, but I think, like, to, like, get together and meet other people, that was a big part of it, too. Oh, I'm, I'm like, sure like, that... Chat the rooms reason, and things like that were invented. Yeah, I'm but, sure that's the reason why it became so big. Is mainly because of connecting with other people. There is just something far more rewarding about. Um, I mean, just look at social media, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. 
Uh, everybody's on there, and their main goal is to get as much, essentially, as much validation as possible from other people. And yeah, so their, the, the interaction with other people far outweighs their ability to, uh, you know, do something in their own sort of uh, little box. That, that's well, a little side thing, and it's nice to have, but I feel like, yeah, people very much want interaction and uh, a relationship with another person. It's just, well, it, it matters, though, to have the other outlet because, you know, it doesn't matter how many guys are going to be online. If the Japanese girls are not going to be online, that's not going to really, they're not going to meet anyone that way. Uh, so that's the unfortunate part. It does require participation on both genders. But in other countries, and, you know, people my generation, etc., you'd get on ICQ or whatever. The, the thing you were talking on and you would want to meet because that you, you want a relationship in the real world. And I think that's why Second Life blew up as much as it did uh, because most people are there to look pretty, show off basically a grand old party where they look their best, which is not necessarily their real self, um, and then have cyber sex. That's like the point. So I feel like that's not going to be a problem uh, for people to meet each other through VR. I feel like it'll be the, one of the first things that will happen. But there's also there's also this volunteerism thing that uh, that is enabled through. I mean, okay, so so we've been we've had people making tools for people to use because you know what people like the like to help others. People love to be able to create something and then other people use it or view it or or interact with it. And the more interactive it, that something is that they can create, the more people like it and the more that it makes an impression on people. And so there's this craving for kind of like a social um, validation that uh, that is. When when you can create things that people you know enjoy, there's a huge amount of social validation. And so by having these tools where people can create, there's this type of volunteerism. And so and then you take that and you think about the fact that here here's a, here's a thing to look at that's that's very interesting that's kind of on the rise that is also uh, seemingly in our future is a, is a change to the way economics works because of the fact that virtual objects now have real value to people. Uh, you know, it's something that I remember talking about. 10 years ago, people would almost roll their eyes because, well, they just couldn't see it, but now it's there. It's uh, And now, now that it's tangible, people can follow along. And that is that, that you've got, you know, these things that we, we care about. We, we spend... Well, you know, a tremendous amount of us that are part of the video game generation spend a tremendous amount of time and, and lovingly value those things that we have found online, things that we have created online, things that we have uh, obtained online. It, it, all of these these virtual objects that mean a tremendous amount to us. And so the the point is that they're virtual objects and virtual things. Uh, I mean, people spend their entire lives creating virtual object, objects now, and they have real value. So what does that do, economically speaking? What does it when, when some Something uh, is is created. It's it's and then can be redistributed, uh, but still has value. And so there's a there's a marked change in the way economics works as we begin to become more and more of an I, uh, a computerized species. That is that's something that uh, you know uh, I don't know if anybody has watched uh, Sword Art Online. That's a, another great anime that uh, that's basically kind of broaching the topic of uh, you know virtual reality very very deeply and how that as virtual re virtual reality progresses then you know there will it will there will come to a point in which virtual reality and regular reality there's very little difference between the two it's just another reality that you can participate in and you can choose to participate in one reality or the other and the objects and the people and the things like that are valued just as much and the thing is that will that will change the way in which people you know their their whole value system you know about about relationships about 
objects about everything will be radically changed by this revolution as it starts to progress and starts to become more and more part of regular everyday life. And so the people who are part of the video games and part of cyberization and part of uh, this type of augmentation, they will have a very different way of looking at reality, looking at, you know, what is, what, you know, the virtual objects, the value of things, the, and of course, like I said, once again, volunteerism, the interaction with other people and the ability to create things and have other people benefit from your creations and have the kind of satisfaction that that gives you. And so uh, so you end up creating something that is a, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what to call it, but it's a, there's, there's, there's a, a, a community that is uh, of a, a, a something, and we have an opportunity for a community that we've just never had before. Humanity has never had this opportunity before. There's never been an, a situation for us to to do the things that we can do in the ways that we can do them. And so there's just new ways and new possibilities that uh, that are on the horizon that, that can be something that we can look at as a very, very beautiful possibility and a very beautiful future that we can we can make happen with uh, with these new technologies. Yeah, I can see a day worth like platforms like say Skype will be using things like AR. So I know a lot of people like we use Skype a lot for doing meetings and things like that. Imagine having a meeting but you can use AR and you can actually project the people that are not actually present in your room, but you can actually put them there as if they're sitting at the board table or the living room or whatever space you want to conduct the meeting in. Um, I'm going to see this stuff embedded in all kinds of things everybody takes for granted every day. So, I mean, one thing I've been working on is trying to find some way to create a, um, a virtual magic cave that people can explore um, in there and you can actually um, do radio shows through it and the audience is actually present in the space um, just like a real kind of a talk show type thing um, yeah that's cool so. as shit yeah just do the entire thing uh, VR that would be so neat because then you kind of could have like a, an audience there it's almost like you have some people up on stage almost like a panel and basically uh, create kind of a, where every time it's like a virtual conference yeah That definitely sounds like super awesome. Um, and yeah, VR is basically where we're going uh, with entertainment and just technology in general and all of that holographic like type stuff that we see in futuristic movies. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, but at least we're definitely going to see a shit like that through the VR. And how, who knows how much is going to um, integrate uh, from the bulky Oculus helmet to something like Google Glass to you know Retina cameras. Who knows? Uh, the possibilities are endless. And it's quite exciting. So um, I don't know. I'm personally definitely team H plus. Um, that's the, the symbol for transhumanism, and also a cool show. So um, yeah, I think that that about wraps up our show. And uh, if anyone has any final words to say on the topic, uh, go ahead. But other than that, we might wrap it up. As you should with your tip always. Whoa. I'm just saying, like, just throwing that out there. What's <laughs> <It's like laughs> Brian? And okay, that's all Brian wanted to say. All right, cool. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's his birthday. <laughs> True. Um, I shouldn't bully him on his birthday. <laughs> so, Cyberbullying. <anyway. laughs> we we gotta send him a birth, uh, virtual birthday cake or something like that. Well, he already has enough cake. Like, let's send him pies. Yeah, make, make well, that it pie. would be zero calorie. 
There'd be no calories in it. You could eat all you want and not worry about it. It's like cheese satisfaction. cheesecake or uh, carrot cake is fine, though. Cheesecake is the best, oh. but I don't understand how you can have those two in the same sentence. That's just, like, not even right. I like both of those things. Although I think I think of cheesecake as more of a pie to me. I don't know why they call it cheesecake. But I guess cheese pie sounds less appealing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, they probably actually have a cheese pie. Uh, oh, that sounds pretty like, good to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought that's what a pizza pie is. I thought uh, True. that's what a pizza pie is. Yeah, or a calzone. Yeah. It's like a folded over cheese pie. Well played, sir. <laughs> this conversation has devolved into food suddenly. Um, <laughs> God, I'm hungry. <laughs> I think we're all hungry. It's time to break for dinner. And uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us for this uh, Cherry Sum number 11. And we will actually, ha as you know, we had to reschedule this one from last week. And we will be having another one at the end of this month. Uh, the topic is um, really fun and juicy, so uh, stick around for all that. And uh, as we've mentioned before, the show is brought to you by um, you know entirely volunteer work. And uh, if you like the HBO Mothership, uh, please feed the badger. Uh, that's patreon.com slash honeybadgerradio. Uh, that is two R's, badger radio, yeah, just in case. And, uh, of course, if you like our work and want to see more cherry stems, we are getting close to our 666 goal of uh, providing two shows of Cherry Stem a month, and that would be a regular topic show and uh, in the beginning of the month, and a call-in show at the end of the month. So that's Excite. And uh, check that out on patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. And uh, Direhawk, uh, Jonathan, where can people find your work most easily, I suppose? Well, you just go to www.sketchfab. That's, what is it, S-K-E-T-C-H-F-A-B dot com and then forward slash direhawk and you'll see all the models that I posted thus far. Good times. And, so. then, and then any videos that, that I posted on the Honey Badger channel. Yes, definitely follow uh, Honey Badger Radio on Twitter and here on YouTube. Subscribe. Join um, us for future shows when we have them in the future, if you know what I'm saying. Um, thanks for sticking around and we will see you guys uh, later this month. Goodbye. <laughs>